reach out. He's here. Hallelujah.
of God that leads us to repentance. God is not just, uh, he is good just in his character and everything he is, but his goodness is supposed to accomplish something and that's to lead us toward him in repentance. So as we sing about it today, praise God for his goodness, but praise God for his goodness as we respond to it and we respond to him. Amen? Amen. Lord, we just thank you today. We thank you for your goodness, God. We thank you that you are good. You are the, you are the way things should always have been. There's, there's, there's a, a certainty, a confidence we can have in you because you are good. And Lord, we pray today. Uh, we remember Howard Heckman. He needs a touch in his body. Bless him today. Pour your spirit out on him. Minister to him in a powerful way. And Nancy today, thank you for their lives. Bless them. And Lord, as uh, we are in this place worshiping today, God, I pray you would speak clearly, powerfully, and that your goodness would just cause us to seek after you, to follow you with all that we are. In Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen. Amen. Hey, it is so good to see all of you today. And uh, we're going to take some time and greet each other. So find a person near you or across the room. And let's take a few moments and greet each other today. God bless you. That's right. You are welcome. Whether you've been going here for 30 years or three weeks, you are welcome here. Praise. We're so glad to see each one of you. We're going to receive our morning tithe and offering. So if the ushers could come as they so faithfully do. Hey, just for a second, let's give these ushers a hand, you know? All these week in, week out, you know? We appreciate you guys and ladies that, that participate in that ministry. Thank you very much. And uh, but let's pray as we receive and worship God in this way. Lord, thank you for today. Thanks that we get to uh, give. We get to honor you this way. Thank you for the, the constant reminder that you've placed in our life that you own everything, but not only that, but you take care of everything because you're God. You're bigger than, uh, than anyone, uh, any nation, any economy. And Lord, as we give and worship you and trust you, Lord, we believe that you're going to uh, continue to be faithful as we're faithful to you. In Jesus' name, amen.
Well, hey, if you are a guest here today, um, I had met somebody this morning who's a, a guest here. They hadn't been here in a long, like years, hadn't been here, and they're back in town to visit, and so we're glad to, to have you here. But if you're a guest here today, if you can fill out this Connect card, that would be a tremendous help to us um, as we want to recognize your visit with us. And, and we, our prayer is, is that this won't be your last time back, right? You'll come again. We'd love to see you. And, uh, but if you would take these, complete these, turn it into our guest services table, that would be, again, a huge help for us. Hey, grab your bulletin, put it in front of you. Sometimes, you know, if you read and hear at the same time, things just stick better. Do you know that? It's, it's true. It's science. It's a scientific fact. Don't ask me where to prove it. I, it's just a, it's the truth. Uh, well, hey, we have some, some things coming up here. Today is going to be our series beginning on the seven churches of Revelation. So we got Wednesday night, we got Bible study chapter by chapter in the book of Revelation. And then Sunday mornings, we're talking specifically about the seven churches, and that's going to begin today. Uh, young adults, you guys have a Friday night hangout this coming Friday at the Walters house. Make note of that location. And uh, Joy Group, March 25th. At noon, meeting in the cafe. I might have to wander over here that day. I don't know. Uh, but it's going to be March 25th at noon for the Joy Group Luncheon uh, in the cafe. Make sure you uh, put that on your calendar. And uh, also, we have some youth ministry announcements. Uh, candy making. Please, uh, some of your, your sons and daughters, your, some of your grandkids, they signed up to make candy next Saturday, a week from yesterday. And uh, we're going to do that at 10 a.m., probably till about 1. So um, I'll be sending them some emails out as reminders that they have signed up for that. And also candy. Uh, we're coming up on the deadline for when you can order your Easter candy, the delicious creamy, wonderful, amazing Easter candy that you know you need. And even if you don't need it, someone in your life needs it. Someone needs it. So order it now. You can scan the QR code here in your bulletin and be able to do that online. If you love it old school, there are paper order forms out in the lobby. You can take advantage of those and order. But that, dead, that deadline's coming up. But this coming Wednesday, the 22nd, we need to have those in so that we can know what we're making. And then March, 20, uh, March 31st, rather, is the uh, uh, fifth Friday, and the youth will be having prayer and worship and pizza that night because only pizza really fulfills that end of the night prayer and worship. And again, everyone knows that. So God bless you. Uh, make sure you read your bulletin here. Amen. Prayer and pizza. <laughs> now you're talking. <laughs> Used to be prayer and fasting. <clears throat> now they're youth. They need to have fun. And so do some of us older youth. Um, Oh, you know, I want to say thank you to everyone that turned out yesterday to help with our spring cleanup, getting ready for Easter, which is only three Sundays away. Uh, if you can believe it, we had a little shot of cold this morning, didn't we? Kind of like pushed us back into deep, the very beginning of March. But uh, this week looks good and spring's coming. Thank God we, I haven't had to, and you didn't either. We didn't have to even pick out a shovel this year for winter. What a blessing. Uh, if you do want snow, you know, you can go to Idaho, Utah, and California. They have more than enough. Seriously, just, in, you know, grab a plane ticket and go. Uh, but we'll enjoy spring here. Um, yeah, talking about Easter, a segue from that. Again, thank you for those that came out. Got a lot of work done quickly. Um, but Easter is our one day to feed the world. And we 
support Convoy of Hope as they meet needs around the world. And so each week leading up to Easter, we're going to share just a brief video. Today's a little longer from Convoy, but it is a Ukraine update. And so let's go ahead and show what Convoy's been doing. People began to leave the country immediately, but in addition to that, people being displaced within the country or supply chain processes being broken down, we began to realize just how big of a need that there would be. The hope that people need to hold on to in a war situation is something that most of us will never experience. The greatest resource you can give is hope, and the best way that you can give it is to continue to empower the person as they are. So when we go in to respond, our biggest question is how can we help the situation and how they need to be helped. If this food getting people which right now needed that, it means for them of life. So the food that was very important last week, now it's critically important. And I believe it will be critically, critically, critically important the next week. Joel, if you would, just kind of tell us where things are right now. We're, we're getting close to a year. What's the situation look like from your standpoint? Well, I, I think the biggest differences between right now and when the war started is the massive damage to the infrastructure. And so a lot of people have no power, a lot of people have no heat. There are villages that, you know, may have had five, ten thousand people before and there's, you know, six or seven families left maybe. Uh, there's a lot of people without food. People are living and they're consuming what they have. And you don't know when the next installment is coming, if it is coming. Teachers, doctors, uh, lawyers, they sit in line, dressed very nice, and they come and they sit in line for their bag of food. Uh, you watch that and you realize, wow, I mean, what life can be that fragile. Maybe what we do is a drop in the ocean, but for that person it makes the whole difference. That only bag of food, only one, makes the whole difference for that person that you're going to bring the food to. And it's, it's worth everything. We're very grateful for everything that Convoy is doing uh, and everything that they're able to provide. Um, I mean, there has not been uh, this many displaced people in Europe since World War II. But without hope, people die. And so uh, the food you know, allows them to live physically, um, but the hope uh, you know, that Convoy of Hope gives uh, is just as important. Uh, and so I, I would say, uh, yeah, um, we are extremely grateful 
uh, to Convoy and to all of the donors of Convoy uh, for the aid that they're giving uh, and the lives that they're saving. Um, but the fight is not over. Uh, we still have people um, that are dying on the front lines, uh, and that's leaving women and children uh, that uh, don't have someone to provide for their family. And we're trying our best to, to get them through the winter. We're trying our best to uh, make sure they have a warm meal uh, at least once a day. Uh, and your giving uh, allows us to do that. Your giving allows us to provide that food, allows us to provide those warm places for them to go. Uh, and so we, we urge you uh, and we, we thank you in advance for all of the giving, uh, both of food and anything else, warm clothing, that you donate, uh, it makes a big difference. It really does. Most of you already know Convoy really well, and I thank you for your support uh, year after year after year. Uh, not only do they deal with disaster relief, and they were there when the war began, and they are still there today. And of course, they also do citywide outreaches, and there's women's empowerment, um, they've got a feeding program that feeds uh, about 350,000 children every day around the world, various countries. And so they're worthy of our support. So thank you again for what you do. Uh, and Easter morning, we will receive uh, a one-day offering. And there's one day of your salary out of the whole year for Convoy of Hope. Um, I know some of you have mentioned, hey, didn't we do this back in Thanksgiving? And we did. Uh, we do one day twice, two days and frankly, I give both times. And so, you know, it's, it's just such a privilege to be able to help a ministry like Convoy. So thank you again. At this time, we've got something really exciting. Never done this before, but I want to ask Christelle Brewer if you'd come up. Uh, most of, all of you should have gotten a flyer today. Uh, what an opportunity. Guys, let's see if we can just, if we can just bury Christelle in tons of pajamas. That'd be really cool. I hope... There we go. We're on. Good morning, everyone. <laughs> so um, as Pastor said, um, our family, we're small. I'm just joking. There's a lot of us. <laughs> we, we run a um, Christian nonprofit right here in Newcastle County. Um, it's all volunteer-led and volunteer-run and donation-run, and this church has already been a true blessing to our program. Um, and I wanted to just bring something to the attention of everyone here. Over the past three years, homelessness in Delaware has actually tripled. Um, and one out of the three people experiencing homelessness is a child age 18 and under. Um, so our newest local outreach right here in Newark and Bear um, is called Heart to Hand. And it serves families who are actually living in motels and hotels as they're experiencing homelessness and housing transition. Um, when they first check in, they get a little card that they, we've made some relationships. The um, individuals give them the card. They're able to go online and give out like a 15 second questionnaire. And then I contact them within 48 hours to kind of see what their need is. Um, <clears throat> as you can imagine, living in a motel is difficult. So we try to provide them with things like laundry detergent because they charge them $5 to wash a load of laundry, which is a lot. Um, we try to provide them with cleaning supplies to keep their space together, personal care items, and even things like Tupperware containers just to keep rodents and pests away while they're living inside of that cramped space. So for the next two weeks, this is really the fun part, we're going to be offering and doing a pajama drive. 
Um, and it was something that came to us because a lot of the kids, they're in transition and they don't have a lot of things that they can bring with them. So a fresh pair of new gently used pajamas is wonderful. It allows them to feel um, a smile on their face, to feel safe and comfort during such a time of uncertainty for a child who's just kind of being shuffled back and forth. So um, it's an, something that we often take for granted, like pajamas, who needs mm -hmm. those? But you kind of would feel really nice at the end of the night if you've just been in a shelter and you're finally placed into somewhere a little bit more stable. If you've been living in your car, the kids are able to take a nice hot bath finally and get a fresh pair of pajamas. So that's what we're gonna be collecting. The flyer that you received today, we just talk about kind of what they are. We just asked that they could just be like a set, a top and a bottom, even though a lot of kids, you know, don't sleep in tops and bottoms all the time. Either in nightgowns or um, some of the kids do zip up onesies. And we're looking at all sizes, all ages for kids. And a lot of times we get kids who are adult size. You've seen my kids. They're adult size kids. So adult <laughs> pajamas can actually work for some of our older kids. Um, we're going to be collecting those things. I really, really appreciate everyone who has been supporting our ministry. It is something small that we do, and I just believe that if we are all the hands and feet of Jesus, we can all help some way, somehow. So thank you so much. It's cool. Yeah, let's try to get a stack at least this <laughs> tall, okay? And uh, anything else on the back, you can see there's some hygiene items. Um, we're just going to fill up the lobby in the next two weeks. We want to cut this off. We don't want to drag this out forever. Um, and I'll just say this, if you... Uh, let me turn this off, so no confusion. Um, if, you, if you go to Kohl's and are out of pajamas because all of our people have already been there, um, just go to Costco, okay? You can get them at Costco, Kohl's, and, um, and who knows? You know, maybe some of you are really good at begging. Go to a store and let them know that these are going to be donated. You'll buy a pair where they give you a pair. I don't, just try anything, um, but the need is there. And when I saw this uh, online, I thought, we got to do this. I mean, what could be more fun? And so uh, my wife and I, we found three pair of brand new PJs and some matching slippers. Um, and so we're, we're ready to donate those and maybe go buy some other stuff at my favorite store. Um, so yeah, two weeks. So we want to get those in by Palm Sunday, April 2nd, which is also National Youth Day. What a blessing to be able to minister that way. Um, and all sizes. They, she said adults too, but you know, our hearts are for kids. We've already got some adult sizes we can give. Anyways, this morning, as promised, we're going to begin a study on the seven churches of Revelation. That's Sunday morning. Um, on Wednesday nights, we're doing a more in-depth Bible study on the entire book of Revelation all the way through. And so I want to encourage you, if you've never been part of a study of the book of Revelation, you've never studied end-time events, then make a commitment to be part of our Wednesday evening exploration. Because without a doubt, we are closer today to the return of Christ than ever before in history. I can say that today, I can say it tomorrow, until he comes again. And we should not be ignorant of what will transpire in the future, very possibly the near future. And what reminds us of this are the words that Jesus spoke himself. And I'm going to read you several passages. Matthew 25, 13, Jesus said, Therefore, keep watch, and others be alert, because you do not know the day or the hour, speaking of his return. He also said in Luke 17, verse 26 and 27, just as it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage up to the day that Noah entered the ark. 
And then the flood came and destroyed them all. And then furthermore, Jesus told us in Luke chapter 21, verses 29, 30, and 31, he said, look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. And so the deduction, the conclusion that we should be able to make here is that although we may not know the exact time, the exact day, the precise moment of Christ's return, we will be privileged to see signs of his coming in advance. And by the way, what signs should we be looking for? Well, you know, for generations, we've always looked for an increase in wickedness, in wars, rumors of war, earthquakes, natural disasters, famines, and the such. Those are listed in the scriptures. But, but honestly, you know, to some degree, we've always had those at work in our world. They've been happening for millennia, all the things that I mentioned. And, and people look for these things because of what Jesus recorded, what his words that are recorded in Matthew chapter 24. And this is verses 4 through 8. Matthew 24, verse 4 through 8. See to it that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Christ, and they will deceive many. You'll hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you're not alarmed. These things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. And so as we can see here, these are all signs. These are the beginning of birth pains, the beginning of the end. And yet I believe the greatest sign, the most significant sign of Jesus' return is not so much what I just read, but rather from Luke chapter 17, which we read just a little while ago, just touched on a piece of it. I believe that the most significant indicator of Christ's return will be complacency among Christians. I believe that is going to be the single most significant indicator. I believe that when Christ's return gets closer, Christians will stop thinking about it. I believe that very possibly Christians will stop desiring, desiring it or hoping for it. I believe that he will return when people are least interested. And you can read about that in Matthew chapter 24 and chapter 25. And again, a little bit of, bit of this was from Luke's gospel that I read a few moments ago. It will be just like in the days of Noah, he said. And I think we're getting pretty close to those times. And it's for this reason that I've decided to preach from Revelation chapter 1, 2, and 3. And I'm going to share that task with both of our pastors, Pastor Hans and Pastor Brandon. And this morning we're going to begin with Revelation chapter 1. And we're going to read the entire chapter. Revelation chapter 1, beginning of verse 1. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it, who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne 
And from Jesus Christ, who is a faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests, to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he's coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see. And send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice of his speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. And coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. When I saw him I fell at his feet as though dead. And then he placed his right hand on me and he said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Father God, we thank you for your word. And Lord, I pray, God, that we would be truly ready and ripe to receive from your word this morning. Lord, that your Holy Spirit would make this come alive, that we'd see the application for our lives, for our church, and for today. Lord, we thank you that this book is not meant to be a mystery, but it's meant to be a mirror. And Lord, I pray that, we, that as we look into this mirror, that we'd see where we are in our hearts right now today, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, listen, I want to set some guidelines uh, for all of us before we get into the meat of this chapter, before we begin to tear it apart verse by verse. And the first thing I want you to know is that although this book is full of rich symbolism, you, we, we read it together, colorful descriptions, it is, it's not that way on purpose. I mean, you know, it, it just is. It, it wasn't designed to wow us. It wasn't designed to mesmerize us. It just is. John is simply telling us what he sees. He's telling us about the things that he is visually witnessing, that he's visually comprehending, and he's describing them to us in a first century mind. We're going back 2,000 years. And as we've read and we saw the descriptiveness in this chapter, it almost, it almost can seem cryptic. Verses 12 through 16 in particular, someone is speaking to him, he says. And he looked like a son of man. 
His hair was white like wool, eyes blazing like fire, his feet like bronze that was glowing from the heat of a blast furnace. His voice sounded like rushing waters. And then we see John's response to that, how awesome this event truly was. It says that he fell as though dead at his feet. I mean, meaning that he was afraid. Actually, he was terrified. He was terrified. But regardless of what we, of what we read, we three pastors over the next few weeks are going to help you to better understand these chapters. And again, on Wednesday nights, we're going to go even deeper in understanding what this book has to say to us, chapter by chapter, because friends, it is meant to be understood. The book of Revelation is meant to be understood. I mean, the the name of the book tells us that it's to be understood. It's a revelation. The first verse, it says, the revelation from Jesus Christ, a revealing from Jesus, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. In other words, God is going to reveal this to us. He's going to reveal everything that's going to take place, speaking about the future. This is a revelation from God. So when heading into this, don't think that you're going to see something really mysterious. This is very revealing, very understandable. It's not meant to be hidden. This is not some enigmatic puzzle. Our God is not a God of confusion. The only thing we need to have in order to better understand this book is a first century mind. And none of us have that, but we're going to get it as we go through this. And the three of us, we've been trained in this and we're going to exposit the same Sunday after Sunday. And so I want us to take a walk through these verses of this first chapter. The first three verses I've already mentioned to you give us the purpose of this book of the Bible. It is to be the revealing of future events. And it said that in verse 1, to show his servants a revelation from Jesus Christ in order to show his servants what must soon take place. And then specifically, the first few chapters are being written to seven churches, churches of Asia, This is the Apostle John writing this down, what he sees, he writes down, and it's going to be like an epistle, like a letter to these seven churches in Asia, not meaning Far East Asia, but what was then known as Asia Minor, which is today the nation of Turkey. And John is going to share with them a written account of the vision that he's received from God. And this vision came to him, as we read, while he was exiled on the island of Patmos. And Patmos is one of the smallest islands in the Aegean Sea, quite a distance from the western coast of Turkey. And as we've read here, and he he put it very gently, but he was banished to this island as punishment for preaching the gospel. The Roman government and the emperor Domitian had put him on this island as punishment for sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And what an incredible blessing this book is to the church. I mean, the church throughout the ages, for the last 2,000 years, this book has been an incredible blessing. To think that God would give us a blueprint, literally give us a map of future events and how they unfold. And and, and these are events that are, of course, yet to take place. Verse 7 alludes to something that we discussed just last week. That is the rapture, the arrival of Jesus Christ, where we meet him in the air. Look at verse 7. If you have your Bibles, it says, look, he is coming with the clouds. And every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. And so this story, this account, begins with Christ coming on the clouds. Just like we read last week in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 
And then verse 8, Jesus establishes that he is the eternal God. Not only is he the Son of God, but he is God. He was, he is, and he forever will be. He is the Alpha and the Omega, meaning that he was the first and he will be the last. Who is, who was, who is to come, the Almighty. Just like when God called Moses to lead the Israelites. Remember that? Moses asked God, if I go to Pharaoh, who should, if I go to my people, who should I say that I am? Who, who should I say sent me? When he went to Pharaoh, he asked the same question. And God said to Moses, you tell them that I am who I am has sent you. And you know, it's not, that's not really, you know, sometimes we struggle with that translation into the English. I don't think it really it translates that well. Because what he's saying is you tell the people and you tell Pharaoh that the eternal I am has sent you. The eternal I am, the forever I am, the forever has always been, the forever will always be has sent you. And this is important because you see there are, there are cults and there are false religions who would want to find common ground with us by acknowledging that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. The Mormons will say that, Jehovah's Witness will say it, but if you press them and you ask them, if Jesus was and is God, not the Son of God, if you ask them if Jesus was and is God, they can't affirm that. But we believe, as the Bible teaches, that Jesus Christ is a member of the Trinity, the threefold Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and they are all eternal. Three persons, one God, forever eternal without beginning or end, the Alpha and the Omega. Now, we're not going to get into future events on Sunday mornings. That's reserved for Wednesday nights. And again, I encourage you to come on out. We're in the chapel, 7 o'clock. Our only purpose here is to see what John saw as Jesus revealed himself to John. And I want you to know, too, that this John is the writer of John's gospel. He wrote the three epistles of John, as well as being one of the disciples of Jesus. And that's important because what you're going to notice in a moment, I'm going to draw you to this, is that I want you to know that John, you know, he spent a few years with the earthly Jesus. He knew the incarnate Jesus very well. In fact, if you read the Gospel of John, it sounds like John felt as though he were more intimate with Jesus than any of the disciples. When you read the Gospel of John, he always refers to him as a disciple whom Jesus loved. That sounds pretty boastful. The disciple whom Jesus, he didn't really love the other 11, but I'm the one who Jesus loved. And if you've ever seen a, a picture of the Last Supper, it's John who is reclining on Jesus in that painting. And so again, he was very familiar. He was very close to the master when he was on earth. But now in this vision, he sees Jesus in a completely different way. And this is what's significant today. Because John presents to us an unearthly description of Jesus. Never, never seen like this before. And we need to go back to verse 12. I want us to look at this again. Verse 12, he writes, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet 
with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. And coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. And so John sees this image. And he says it looked like, it looked like the Son of Man. And I think that was John's way of saying it looked like Jesus. Not the Jesus he had previously known. I mean, this is an incredible, majestic vision. But it looked like Jesus. Again, it didn't look like the one he lived with. It didn't look like the one that he traveled with for, a year, for years. But somehow he knew inside of himself without any doubt that this must be Jesus. And you have to admit that that description is pretty, pretty overwhelming. It's, very, it's awesome. The image is, I mean, because in the very next verse, John says that he fell down as though dead. So he's overwhelmed. This is not the same vision of Jesus that he had lived among. He knows this is Jesus. And yet he'd never seen him in such glory or majesty. Now here's the best image that I could find concerning what Jesus might have looked like. Of course, you know, it's an artist's rendition. And I don't know that any of us can really imagine what John had seen. But I would suggest to you that the Jesus that John saw probably appeared even more awesome than this painting. More glorified. Much more majesty that is contained in, in that image. And then John shares with us the details of how he looked. It said he stood among seven golden lampstands. These lampstands represent the light of the gospel given off by each of the seven churches that will be addressed in the following verses. We were told that in the last few verses. And verse 13, John said that he saw someone like the Son of Man. And as I already mentioned, it's a reference to the fact that he assumed it to be Jesus. And that's not the only time in Scripture that Jesus is ever described that way. In fact, if you think back to the Old Testament in Babylon, the three Hebrew boys who are thrown into the fiery furnace were told that all of a sudden, once they're in that furnace, in, there, in, that, in that fiery flames, a fourth person appeared among them, it says, who looked like the Son of Man. People in the Old Testament got a glimpse at least a silhouette through the flames of Jesus. And of course, Jesus himself, he referred to himself in the Gospels as the Son of Man, didn't he? So it's a fitting, it's a fitting title in this case. And then verse 13 also tells us that he had a golden sash around his chest. And obviously, that would be only the priest who would tie the sash around his chest. In those days, New Testament, Old Testament, New Testament men would tie a sash around their robe at their waistline. But a priest was signified by tying that golden sash around their chest. And doesn't the Word of God tell us in Hebrews chapter 4 that Jesus is the great high priest, amen, who empathizes with us, he intercedes for us, he represents us before the Father. In verse 14, it speaks of his white head and his white hair. Again, that's not the way that John had ever seen him. But you know, it's a description that goes all the way back to the Old Testament. And in Daniel, Daniel chapter 7, verse 9, um, it says this, As I looked, 
Thrones were set in place. This is Daniel. Thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. Hundreds of years before. And Jesus is described the same way that John is describing him. And then Daniel goes a little further. He says his throne was flaming with fire. And its wheels were all ablaze. And so you see, John is not the first one seeing Jesus the way that he'd been revealed to others in the Bible. In verse 15 and 16, he had eyes like blazing fire, feet like glowing bronze, a sharp double-edged sword coming out of his mouth. And I want you to know that each one of those represents judgment, the purpose for judgment. In the book of Exodus, the 28th chapter, it speaks of the bronze altar as being a place for sacrifice of sin. Bronze was significant in the sacrifice of sin. Revelation 19.15 says this about a sword coming out of his mouth. And it says, coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. That's later on in the book of Revelation. In Hebrews 4.12, it also tells us of how the word of God, which is the sword of the spirit, is sharper than a double-edged sword, able to discern, able to judge. That's the purpose of the sword, to judge the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And then also in verse 16, in his right hand, he held seven stars. These represent seven angels, one over each of the churches whom he will address in these, in these following verses. And then finally, we're told that his face was shining like the brilliance of the sun. And I want you to listen to Revelation 21, verse 23. In the very end of the Bible, we're told about the creation of a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem. And we're told that the city will not need a sun or a moon. That's hard to comprehend, isn't it? Can you imagine? I mean, if you were, if you were out, even, even this afternoon when you go out, it's, it's going to be cool today, like a high of 41 But if you feel that sun on you at this time of year, you're going to feel some warmth from that 93 million miles away. And it won't exist. It won't exist in the future. There's no need. There's no need for the sun. And here's what the word says. It says the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives its light. And the lamb, Jesus, is the lamp. Amen. That is incredible. That is, I mean, really, if you, if you just ponder that. And we, sadly, we don't. We don't think of these things. We just go about our day every day. And we keep busy. As I said last week, we get caught up in the mundane. But this is the future. And the book of Revelation is going to reveal the future step by step by step. Is it any wonder when John saw this image? And there's some things missing from here. I don't see the double-edged sword coming out. I don't see, well, the golden sash is tucked underneath the... Um, Whatever that is, it's hanging over his shoulder. He's holding the seven stars in his hand. I mean, is it any wonder that John fell to the ground to see the Messiah, to see the Son of God in this kind of splendor and majesty? He'd never known him like this before. And I've taken time to cover this entire chapter this morning for one reason, one reason alone. Because, you know, honestly, a lot, of, a lot of preachers, I've heard them go through the book of Revelation. They'll skip over this, this whole first chapter and get into the churches of Revelation. Sometimes they'll skip over the churches of Revelation because they want to get to the actual events. 
But I, I believe that we need this chapter to remind us of just how majestic our Savior and Lord really is. To be reminded that He is God in all of His glory. Because you see, we often don't perceive Him that way. I don't, I don't believe that anyone, I think I can say, I don't think that we wake up each day and begin to address Him and talk to Him and thinking about this image. But Jesus is really amazing. Really amazing. I, I, I can't find words. You know, he is our friend. He is our brother. I mean, Scripture uses these words. He was born into this world in a manger as a little infant. He was a friend to the sinner and the publican, the tax collector. He trained fishermen in the word of God and called them to be his disciples. He's a lover of our souls according to the word of God. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8 that we are no longer slaves but sons. We are God's children, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. He is that friend that's closer than a brother. John 15, 15, Jesus said, I no longer call you my servants, but now you are my friends. And I could go on and on and on in the way that Jesus describes our relationship with him. He's so much. He's so much. I mean, here's this God who is the creator of everything that exists. The entire universe. I mean, from massive planets and galaxies, constellations, all the way down to that little tiny mosquito you're going to meet in a couple months. Incredible. He created it all. He created it all, everything. And it isn't just God the Father who is there in creation, but John chapter 1 tells us, that Jesus was there, that nothing was created without him that was created, John chapter 1. In Genesis chapter 1, the Holy Spirit brooded over the waters. Everything was void, everything was chaos, and he brought order to it. And he's the God of the entire universe. He's huge. As Pentecostal people, we know him as being our best friend. And that's a good thing. I'd rather know Jesus as my best friend than as some distant, detached God. Amen? But at the same time, we need to be careful that we not take that intimacy for granted. He's never distant. He said, behold, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And then I think, too, of the psalmist. He, he writes, who is man? Who is man that you would even think of him? And I don't, he wasn't talking about think of him in creating him, but why would God even give me the time of day? Why does he want me to talk to him? So, you know, here's, here's the thing. And this is why, again, I, I want to share this first chapter of Revelation with you. I know that we're all very comfortable with experiencing Jesus as a close and intimate friend. But what I want us to do this morning is to see him the way that John saw him that day on the island of Patmos. It's amazing, friends. The, the, things, the things that we can't see would literally have us dropping to the ground as John had. You know, you can read about the description of angels in the Old Testament. They were terrifying beings. And I'm not talking about demons. I'm talking about angels, God's angels. 
We, we would be so racked with fear if we were to see one right here, right now. And yet this is Almighty God. That's the best that an artist could do. But I think that if we saw Jesus like that, we'd be on our knees. I want us to remember that he is a holy God. He's, a pow- he's an all-powerful God. He's the only true God and Savior of mankind. And so that we would not take our relationship with him for granted, so that we would be convinced that he has power over all things, I want you to think of him like this, actually beyond this image. And you know what? Let's just take that image down. It, it's, a, it's a good try, but it's a human attempt. But just remember that the God that you're speaking with, in the, I'm saying in the morning, you can speak to him anytime. The God that you're speaking to can do so much more than you could ever imagine or ask or think to ask. Ephesians chapter 2. Let me read you Ephesians chapter 1 verse 22. Speaking specifically about Jesus, it says this. And God put everything under his feet and made him the head over everything for the church, which is his body, us, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Everything is under his feet. I want Jesus to be our friend. I want us, I want, as he said, no longer you my servants. You are now my friends. He told that to his disciples. I believe that is, that's his message to us today. But I also believe that we need to see him and we need to acknowledge him in his majesty. I want us to see him in all of his glory. And so as I close this message this morning, I want us to fellowship, yes, with our personal Savior. He became one of us so that we could see him. But I also want us to think about him the way that John saw him on that day. And I pray that that thought will stay with you this week. I really do. I really, really want you to think about it. Maybe you can go back into Daniel chapter 7, read that description. Maybe in your, you know, if you have a, a digital type, electronic type Bible, an app or whatever, you can easily find all these Old Testament images of Jesus Christ before he became flesh. Folks, I think one of the reasons, one of the reasons that we sometimes doubt God and his ability is because we're too used to him being that friend. He's more than a friend. He is almighty God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. Lord, we we, we think about you, Father. God, we think about you as majestic, reigning on the throne of heaven. And your Holy Spirit to us is is so often a mystery. We, We can't see you, Holy Spirit, but we do see what you're doing, just like the wind. We can't see the wind, but we can see the effects of the wind. And then, Father God, we thank you that we have Jesus, that we have the Son of God, who came in the flesh because he, he had to. He had to die for our sins. You raised him from the dead. He's ascended. He's at the right hand of the Father right now. And God's word says that he's making intercession for us. He's praying for us. He's interceding for us. 
Lord, how I pray that as we think about your return, Lord, I pray that your church around the world, especially in our own nation, would begin to yearn for your return again. Not because of the number of wars, not because of famines and droughts, not, for, not because of natural disasters taking place. Those are going to be, they're, they're the signs, they're, they're the birth pangs of what will yet come. Lord, how I pray that your church would slip out of complacency and be excited again because you're coming again. And you're coming with an army. You're coming with, the, with a sword proceeding out of your mouth to slay the nations, to slay the enemy. Lord, I thank you that this is your world. You created it and you desire to redeem it. And Lord, I pray that your majesty would be seen in our lifetime, in our days. God, I pray that each one of us would have a fresh vision of who you are, Lord Jesus. Just as John had that vision of the resurrected and ascended Christ. Lord Jesus, our prayer is come, come, come Lord Jesus. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. At this time, we're going to partake of communion together. Pastor Hans is going to lead us. Yeah, if you haven't gotten your uh, communion cup, I'm sure there's either one in the row in front of you or... Um, if you can prepare that and get that ready. Have you ever noticed, uh, and Pastor, I really appreciate just reminding us of the greatness of Jesus, that uh, he is our friend, but he's much more than that. And if you've ever noticed that oftentimes when you want to help or love someone, you suffer. I don't know if you've ever noticed that in life. Maybe you've had somebody at work you're training, and you could do it alone much faster but you're training them and you're kind of having to just wait and you're having to just wait while they catch up. Uh, Maybe you've been a parent here and you've been misunderstood by a child that you've stayed up all night with and when they were very little and, and now they're, you know, misunderstanding your decisions is not loving them. And sometimes loving and helping people can bring suffering into your life. I've known people that have donated organs and uh, the suffering that they went through uh, in order to love and help somebody else. And Jesus understands that perfectly. Isaiah chapter 53 verse 5 says this, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. You know, Jesus, because of his greatness, because of his might, because of his power, he was pierced, he was crushed, he was punished so that we could have peace and that we could have healing. Isn't that an incredible God we serve? Isn't that an amazing God we serve? And the time at this table that we're spending right now is a reminder to us of all he did so that we could have 
not a pain-free life, not a life without discomfort, not a life without hardship or challenge, but that we could have a life that's forgiven, that's free, and that really is a full life. Praise God. Amen. Would you take uh, the bread in your hands? Lord, we honor you for your broken body. You were crushed. You were bruised. Lord, for our iniquities, for, for, the, for our failings, our sin. And God, I thank you that that didn't stop you, even though that you didn't deserve everything you took in your body. You took it for us so that we could have life. And we receive this together in Jesus' name with grateful hearts. Amen. Let's receive it together. And in the same way, Lord, we take this cup. We recognize the power in your shed blood, giving of your life, not just your broken body, but, Lord, your blood that was shed for us. And in that blood, there is forgiveness. In that blood, there is healing. In that blood, there is life. And, Lord, we want to say thank you for all you have done on the cross and uh, being raised from the dead, we are grateful today for you, Jesus. We recognize your might, your power, not just in John's description in the book of Revelation, but God, in our own lives, we have experienced you and your power and your might, your wonder, and we say thank you today. And we receive uh, this cup, recognizing your greatness, recognizing your love and the suffering that you took so that we could have life. We receive it together. In Jesus' name, amen. Could we stand together today? Lord, we have just experienced hearing your word. And we know that it's not an appropriate response to just hear it. So now... You're calling us to actually take action on your word. So, Lord, if that means for us that, that we have uh, only recognized that one aspect of our, our, of our relationship with you as, as friend or as Savior, but we haven't recognized your greatness in our life, and maybe our, the, the, the decisions we have made in life in regards to so many different areas, maybe... Maybe we've, uh, we've looked to other people or other things as greater than you. And Lord, today we just confess that and we say, Lord, forgive us. God, if we have lived in a certain way that has not honored you for the greatness that you are and you have, Lord, forgive us today. And Lord, as we walk out of this building, how we treat people, how we spend money, how we use our talents and abilities, Lord, our, our, our testimony about you, sharing our faith, let all of these things be impacted by your greatness and your might. Lord, we love you, and we say thank you for empowering us by your spirit today to do these things. In Jesus' name, bless your people today. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great uh, rest of the day.